Welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast, the second episode. We appreciate everybody coming back and tuning in to our, our podcast show. Um, here with co-hosts and father and son duo, Andrew, and who is in front of me right now, my father, James Lindroth. How you doing, Dad? Hey, Andrew. How's it going? Not too bad. I'm ready to talk hockey for this week. So we've got a couple things to talk about. Uh, the first thing that we'll be talking about is Doc Emmerich retiring after 47 years. Uh, the Boston Bruins inked a couple new players, Grizzly being one of the biggest ones. Um, some other NHL news around with the Blackhawks going full rebuild. Um, teams bringing back reverse retro jerseys and the Bruins possibly bringing back the Pooh Bear jersey. And then we'll finish off this podcast today talking about some old school hockey stuff and as well as old school Bruins stuff with the old garden. So, Dad, let's go ahead and let's let's talk to the viewers about uh, Doc Emmerich's retirement after 47 years broadcasting the sport of hockey. Yeah, I mean, Mike Doc Emmerich, I mean, a legend, a legend. And uh, he'll cer certainly be missed by all. I mean, he's been doing this for decades and decades. Um, and he certainly uh, have, has been the um, voice of hockey, at least in the uh, United States. And a couple information about uh, Mike Emmerich. So he uh, had his bachelor's degree in speech, master's degree in TV and radio, and a PhD in communications. Hence, where he got his nickname, Doc Emmerich, because he earned his PhD. So he started covering uh, NHL for a newspaper in the early 70s. And by 73, he started uh, sports casting with the old IHL. And then, of course, uh, he's gone on to do so much in hockey. I think it was Philadelphia, then it was New Jersey, then NBC Sports. He's also done numerous Olympics and uh, world hockey events and things like that. So just a legend. He did um, leave his uh, uh, job with one quote that I want to read. And he signed off by saying this, and I think this is kind of a, a cool thing that, talk, that says much about him and hockey. It says, quote, things change over 50 years, but what I, but much of what I love is unchanged from then to now. And into the years ahead, I still get chills seeing the Stanley Cup. I especially love when the horn sounds and one team has won over another and another team hasn't. All hostility can dissolve um, in the timeless and great display of sportsmanship, the handshake line. I leave you with a sincere thanks. So I think that is a wonderful quote for someone to end up his career. And did you know, Andrew, that he is also a founding member, uh, member and president of the NHL Pronunciation Guide, which is the guide that all NHL broadcasters use to this day? Wow. Very cool. Yeah, I believe it. And uh, one of my favorite memories of, of Doc Emmerich was uh, when I was younger, I think it was in what, 2010 to the 2011 season. Um, and I finally took Boston Bruins hockey really seriously. Um, and I'll never forget Bruins, obviously, as you all know, in 2011 went on to win the cup and uh, listening to Doc Emmerich being able to um call the Stanley Cup games, not even just the ones back in 2011 where the Bruins had won, um, but all those years, it, it, he makes hockey fun to listen to. I'm not, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan of a lot of the other play-by-play -play, um, people and it, you know, for the other teams and everything, but Doc has always been one of my favorite. And in fact, um, I, I, I've looked up some words because he uses so many different words to describe the movement of a puck and actually it's funny when I when I looked it up I, all I wanted was a list you know and I had a few of my own favorites off the top of my head but back in 2014 a fan actually broke it down period by period how many words he used and at the end of the game just for describing the movement of the puck in the game a fan counted 133 different words wow. to describe the movement. One of my favorite words or a couple of my favorites is skittered, waffle boarded and nubbed or careens. That's pretty good too. So <laughs> some, some interesting words. He always makes it very entertaining to watch and listen to uh, the game of hockey and dad, you know, I'm sure you can agree to this as well. You know, our whole life watching all sorts of different sports. 
you know, hockey play by play is easily the hardest thing. Oh, not, I not, mean, not only with the pronunciations, but the, the how fast the game is, especially now. So much props to him. He's turned this into an art. Over it certainly years. has. I mean, what what sport can you have, you know, literally every last name on the face of the earth, you know, playing in the game and especially some of these uh, Czechoslovakian and Russian names. I mean, wow, my hat's off to him. Did you actually know he's uh, he is a hockey hall of fame selection committee member? So he gets to vote on oh, no, hockey not. hall of fame. Yeah. So he's got so some power, some pull. He, he's got that. And it, it kind of reminds me it's, it's uh, you're too young to remember this, but the Bruins famous play by play was Fred Cusick. And you can still YouTube, you know, a lot of the old Bruins game from the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s. And he was a legend in the Boston time. So, it, you know, you, you get attached. I think the fans get attached to the, the uh, sports casters, you know. So uh, we wish him luck, you know, Doc Emmerich. Uh, you know, thank you for, you know, 50 years or however long it's been. And, uh, you know, what do you think, Andrew, of? The other people that are on now that we brought up the topic of sports casting, what do you think of NBC sports? You know, only because of doc, I've always liked it. I always get excited, you know, especially during the regular season that the Bruins are playing on NBC sports, but I was, I was making a joke earlier. I was like, yeah, this is the worst joke. 2020 is now playing, you know, on us and watch, watch my least favorite, obviously not play by play guy, but my least favorite, you know, analyst announcer, whatever you call it. Uh, Pierre Maguire. Oh, watch, Maguire. watch Pierre Maguire get the job, and now we're going to be hearing him over Doc for the next. Who knows? No, 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 no. Are you serious? What do you? What is Pierre going to be doing? Listen, all I'm saying is, is I, I, you know, I don't think he's going to do a play-by-play, but no, he, you know, you never know. Oh, man, you the, never the know. The guys like the creepy uncle that you're forced to uh, go to a hockey game with. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Well, it's 2020, so at this point, I'm fully expecting anything that's just going to upset me upset anybody else because you know to be honest with you you know i'm not here to to bash anybody obviously but i don't know too many people that dig pierre mcguire no andrew knows that i i just can't stand pierre mcguire and look the guy knows hockey there's no question of that but he's just i just can't stand the guy yeah well think about this way too you know they got pierre mcguire we've got jack we, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. We do have Jack Edwards, <laughs> and, and, and we like Jack. He could be a little uh, go over the top a little bit, but that that's what we like. That's what Bostonians yeah. like. Uh, what about the other guys, you know, firing Mike Milbury? And I know Milbury is a hot topic with Bostonians. You know, I mean, I see, I, I have a different view. I, you know, a lot of people don't like Mike Milbury. They don't like his personality. I like the guy. I think he's honest. Um, you know, he was a guy that, Came out of nowhere. Don Cherry gave him a shot, you know, to play in the Bruins in the 70s. I mean, he, he stayed on the Bruins. He became coach of the Bruins. He was assistant GM. And I know that fans today have issues with him about maybe some things he talks about the Bruins. But, you know, did he say stupid things? Sure. But did he deserve to get fired? My opinion, I don't know. But, you know, I'm I'm you know, of the old school, you know, I'm 52 years old. So I'm now kind of in that old school age group. And I, I'm, I'm tired of listening to, uh, you know, pretty boy. What's that guy in NBC sports sharp. Oh, Patrick sharp. Yeah. Come on. You know, and my wife, you know, raised, Oh, he's the handsomest guy. It's like, come on, this is hockey. This isn't dancing with the stars, you know, not to say that sharp doesn't know his game and didn't win a Stanley cup with Chicago. I mean, I get it. I'm just saying it's boring in between the periods, you know, so oh, I, I, hopefully I think they bring either Mike Milbury or the other guy they fired, Jeremy Roenick. And we talk about a crazy guy. Yeah. Well, and Jeremy got, you know, had gotten fired for comments made on a podcast show and Mike Milbury got fired for what he had made on air actually during a playoff game. And, you know, I got to say, I liked Mike Milbury. I obviously admire him, you know, back in the day, beating up a fan with a shoe, you know, still, oh, yeah. still yeah. as, you know, growing up as a child, I'm like, I love Mike Milbury, but over the years, Mike Milbury, you know, I don't know if he had a fucking breakup with, you know, Don Sweeney and Cam Neely. Well, there was, there was, if I remember, I mean, you put me on the spot, but you know, he was assistant GM and when Harry Sinden was GM. So Harry, you know, gave him the job as coach 
and then moved into assistant GM. And, you know, Mike, I don't know if he got a little too ambitious or whatever, but he became GM for the Islanders. And he kind of botched is the history of what people I think would say today is that he kind of botched the team a little bit. And when he got fired from, from his GM from the Islanders, then, you know, he kind of went into sports broadcasting or I, I don't know what happened to him, but that's what my memory was about. I wish he would stay because I'm pretty sure he would have had a shot as GM, but you know, maybe he's not a, a good GM. I mean, who knows, but I don't want to turn this into Mike Milbury, but uh, you know, don't send much hate our way just because, you know, I mean, I still think the guy, you know, bleeds black and gold. He's got a job to do. Hopefully they bring him back. I think it was ridiculous for them firing him. Uh, you know, if you're going to do it just on make hockey, if you're going to make hockey politically correct, then you're going to lose the majority of the fan base. You know, with a hockey comes culture, comes a certain amount of masculinity that is probably things you're not going to talk about at the uh, Thanksgiving dinner table with, you know, Aunt Sally and everything else. So uh, I'll just leave it at that. And do you think now that, I mean, not like we're going to sit here and try and talk more about this politically correct stuff or anything, uh, not that we dive into detail, but do you think a lot of these older guys now, um, some of these old school guys who, you know, don't like to uh, censor their mouth or anything. Do, do you think more of them are just now not going to take jobs like this now in fear of, you know, and I, and I, and then listen, Jeremy Roenick said something far different than Mike Milbury. And personally, I I'm fine with Mike Milbury being fired because he's got something against the Bruins. I, I don't know what it is. The guy has never said anything nice the past few years about him when he used to rave about him, he used to always stick up for him. It was weird, but you know, do you, so dad, do you think more of these old school guys are just going to be like, Nope. Cause I mean, well, if, if you want to see what the, you know, w- w- what's it like, you know, being a player in the NHL, I mean, listen to other podcasts, you know, of real NHL players, you know, spitting chiclets and see what the culture is. I mean, it's not a politically correct culture by any means. Now, you know, the NHL has to sell tickets and kids have to go to games and make it a family event. So I understand that they want to keep the broadcasting you know, more focused on the game. I don't have a problem with it. You know, don't, don't try to make a joke. Or if you do, you know, I, I think it's these off the cuff remarks that they make and they just need to stick to the script and just stick to hockey. And I think it'd be okay. Cause you know, you, you can say that in either case, you know, they shouldn't have been talking about that stuff, you know? Uh, so I'll just, I'll just leave it at, at that. But I, I would like to have a little bit more entertainment in between periods you know, and nothing against the guys that are there, but it's getting a little boring to me. I'm starting to like switch to channel where before I'd want to listen to see what the hockey guys had to say. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on from that. Yeah. So moving on from that now, um, you know, a couple of Boston Bruins announcements. I know last podcast episode was mostly taken up by, you know, the crazy free agents, uh, free agency week. And, um, you know, although the Bruins didn't have too many, uh, big name signings other than maybe Craig Smith, if you consider that a big name signing, but a couple of re-signs this week, um, just to quickly go over that and the deals. And we'll talk briefly about them. Um, Grizzlick avoided his arbitration date, which was scheduled, I think for yesterday, what's today's date? 21st. Right. So it was scheduled for yesterday. He had signed a few days ago. I'm really glad they avoided that four years, 3.6 million on average a season. Coolman has recently signed a hybrid deal for two years, which means his first year is a two-way deal. And then his second year will be a one-way deal. And that's at 725K average. And then Seneshin, Zach Seneshin, the 2015 first round pick. Um, he has signed a two-way, one-year 700K average annual value. So dad, I think I'm gonna, we'll get back to Grizzly in a second, but with guys like Seneshin, Zaboral, and DeBrusque, all three of those guys were from the 2000, the dreaded 2015 draft. I don't care what anybody says, dreaded, okay? And if you look back at the 2015 draft, I'm almost certain, don't quote me on it, okay? I don't need people hopping on my ass about this, but I'm almost certain Zaboral and Seneshin are the only two from that 2015 first class that has not made an impact at the NHL level. And don't forget, people who were drafted right after that, Aho, Sebastian Aho. Matt Barzell, you know, we could have had some of these guys. And those are just two names, Thomas Shabbat, defender of uh, 
over on Ottawa. So um, it'll be interesting now that Seneshin and Zaboral are finally going to get their crack at it. And I think Zaboral's is interesting because it's a one-way two-year contract. So there's a lot more confidence in Zaboral, especially after a strong season in Providence this past year. But Seneshin, one-year two-way deal. I find that to be interesting, Dad. I think that uh, Seneshin is obviously going to be used as a depth piece, but <clears throat> I think that this is telling Seneshin this is your last chance. While Zaboro looks like there's a bit more confidence in him, same thing with Coolman having multiple years, and you can always trade him, but Seneshin only one year left. So what, you know, before we go talk about Grizzly and everything, what do you think about those contracts, especially for those kids who are trying to finally break into the Bruins lineup? Well, I think I'll take Coolman. Um, and, and last week I said, I think the Bruins should sign Kuhlman. Um, you know, let's, he, he's had, he's had some NHL experience this past season. He played a little bit in the playoffs, if I remember, um, he's developing, but he's making it to the NHL. So I think his deal with one year is a two way, but the second year he's guaranteed to play basically in the NHL. So I think that shows, like, I think you mentioned just the, the confidence that they have in this kid to say, look, we'll give you one more, you know, one more year to go up and down and so forth. Uh, but, you know, we expect you to make the team where Seneshin, you know, I mean, how much time the Bruins going to spend on this guy? I mean, that may be the telltale sign one year, two way deal, you know, 700,000. I mean, that's, that's where it's at. It's not costing us too much, but I think it's sending the message that, uh, you know, we, He's got to step it up and he's got to make the team. Um, sometimes, you know, I get a lot of these uh, deals like the Taylor Hall deal where it's a one year. I think some of these players, agents are playing sort of the, well, we have a frozen cap. Teams don't have money. The owners are losing money. Let's just sign a, a, a smaller deal, you know, a short-term deal, and then we'll go for the bigger money a year from now or two years from now. But I don't think that's the case here with Seneshin. I think the Bruins are just saying, look, you know, we, how much more money are we going to invest if you're never going to make it to the Bruins? We need to uh, move on. And for Sweeney, like you said, the dreadful draft, you know, 2015. And, you know, that's not looking good for Sweeney. The only one we got out of it was DeBrusque. And, uh, and he's being used as, well, I wouldn't say be actively used, but this – you know, this past, this whole offseason has been pretty much used as trade bait. Um, there's been a lot of different trade rumors and talks. So it'll be very interesting to see how the class of 2015 first round draft picks for the Bruins will make out this year. And, and you know, I think Zaboral out of any of those guys, I mean, I'm not talking about the Bruce, I guess Zaboral versus Seneshin. Um, you know, I just think Zaboral is um, more NHL ready. And from what I've heard from his uh, performances in Providence this year, um, he, he's ready to take over that third third pairing role, probably with Clifton, or he's going to probably have to make the jump uh, to the second pairing dad with Carlo, which is going to be a lot to ask for. But if we sign Chara, I, I would expect to see him on a third pairing with less minutes and on the penalty kill, which would mean somebody's getting bumped up, which would be most likely Zaboral yeah. or a John Moore, which I would not like to see more on a second pairing, but uh, we don't want to spend too much time on that. So the last person to talk about, obviously, is Grizzly. Yeah, I think it's a good deal. Um, I think Arbit I think he was set to go. I think arbitration's on the 22nd to November or something. So it would have been tomorrow, I think it starts. Uh, but I'm not sure. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's uh, he signed. I think, you know, the Bruins, we talked about it last week. You know, he's heralded as a, as a good leadership guy in the locker room. I mean, that's what his, he was, uh, had a lot of uh, um, high remarks from people on his college team when he was uh, captain of his team. So I, I think that he, it's a good future with him. Not a big guy. He makes his mistakes. I think, you know, he's worth right around where he's at. What is it? A three-year deal? Two, four years, four years, 3.6 million. So, you know, I think that's right where it should be for a guy like him. And, you know, uh, that's it. He's locked up for four years. So, you know, we'll definitely keep him and the Bruins definitely need to keep their defenseman. I think the Bruins too, I'll make a prediction and uh, I'm just throwing it out there. I think the Bruins will end up signing Chara to a one-year deal. Chara will have to be under 2 million for sure, but um, 
I think they'll end up signing Chara. Chara doesn't want to go anywhere else. I don't. I think it would be terrible. I think he would think it would be terrible to finish his career on another team for one or two years. I think he wants to, you know, stay a Bruin and, and, you know, Sweeney's obviously still making some, some more deals, uh, maybe some trades. We talked about uh, last week of some trades I think we should make, or at least players that we should be trading. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. And, and just real quick on the char front, Sweeney came out a couple of days ago and, you know, obviously Sweeney hasn't been the most truthful to the press, not like he, he owes us anything necessarily, but he did say uh, when asked about uh, contract extension talks with Char, he did say um, we've been in very, very consistent talks, especially recently. And at this point, you know, we've got a deal on the table. We're just waiting for Char to tell us what he wants to do moving forward. And of course, I think a lot of that is going to have to do with, you know, what the hell are we going to do for the next season? Hub life, not right. hub life. You know, we're going to keep losing money. So it'll be interesting. I hope to see Char back. You know, he's he's won a Stanley Cup, whether it's with the Bruins or not. He's a Stanley Cup winner. He's made plenty of money throughout his career. So the only way, it doesn't make sense if he were to sign with another team. So hopefully he's a Bruin again one more season, regardless of what people think. I think that the Grizzly contract is also very good. It will age well. Sure, $3.6 million sounds a lot right now but don't forget it's a four-year deal that thing will age well especially if grizzly turns out to be kind of a tory crew can put up a lot of points and be that defender who's a power play quarterback and who can just score points for us because we need that on the blue line especially if well mcavoy's going if, through if you're going to complain about a salary we're, we're sitting john moore paying him 2.5 million dollars to not play yeah it's pretty I mean, rough. you know he's a scratch a healthy scratch so i think it's a good deal so Moving on from the contract talk, so we don't revisit the first episode. Um, the one thing that I, I found surprising, I'd like to talk to you about, Dad, and some other teams as well, but the Chicago Blackhawks GM finally came out um, after fans were having a massive uproar after trading, uh, I believe, two of their Stanley Cup player, Stanley Cup champion players are trading their veterans away, and it looks like they are going full rebuild, which they did say. We will be rebuilding and we will be investing most of our time and effort into uh, the, that youth development. Yeah. Um, and they were pretty much a, a, a dynasty almost, right? I mean, they won in 2013 against yep. the Bruins. And then um, did they win again? Yeah, they did win again. When, yeah. when, what, what year was that? I'm uh, blanking 17 now. maybe. I can't remember. So then along with uh, even the Penguins, who it almost seemed like they're in a rebuilding mode as well. Um, so it, what do you think, Dad? You think teams, well, especially like I think the Bruins, are around that corner? I think there's something going on in Chicago. Um, you know, Toes just made a, a statement on a hockey podcast recently that um, it, it, it was not his understanding with the GM when they had an exit interview for the season that this was going to be a total rebuild. So it sounds like Toes was taken by surprise and then they went back at the GM saying, whoa, Toes didn't know anything about this, blah, blah, blah. And well, I think there's miscommunication between him and I, said the GM. There's something going on. And will they trade Toes? I mean, that's the big question. You know, get, you know they need some room on, the, on their cap, for sure. Um, it might make sense to trade the guy. The guy may not want to be on the team. You know, if, if you get this old player who's, you know, won Stanley Cups and all that, and now you're going to go to a rebuild – while the guy's in the, you know, getting into the later part of his career, he may say, I don't, I don't want to be a tutor for the next several, you know, few years. So definitely there's something going on in Chicago. I, I think if Sweeney came out and told the Bruins fans that they're in a total rebuild and really don't expect much from the team. I mean, what, come on, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. And that was kind of my concern if the Bruins were going to start training in that direction with, you know, the, getting older and older and with all these younger guys who got you know the potential to come up you know and that's kind of why I didn't think Sweeney was going to make a big splash in free agency because you know we've got guys Frederick, Seneshane, Kuhlman, Studnika you got all these guys coming at the pipeline that are ready that are ready to at least see if they can prove to be in the lineup and you got to give those kids a chance you can't just keep saying sign the big fish in free agency and Bruins fans got to realize that too all any NHL fan does but you know, I, I'm seeing teams like Blackhawks, Penguins, you know, teams that were dominating, you know, in, in the 2010s decade, 
now are going full rebuild. And I hope I don't see the Bruins go that way. I, you know, I'm hoping that they slowly transition into the new core of McAvoy, you know, uh, Pasternak, whoever would be considered of the new core. But what do you think? Do you, do you see more teams going to be doing this, especially the competitive teams that won just years ago? Because these guys, all the old core, Kane, Taves, well, like you were saying, you know, it's it's, it's it's interesting. It's, you know, um, I could be wrong in, in my memory because I didn't follow hockey on the business side of things. You know, growing up, I was just a hot fan of the, the players and the teams. But uh, it seems that old GMs had a longer had had longevity. And it seems like GMs don't have as much time to build teams. And many of them are kind of hired with this win now strategy. You know, and I think Tampa is a classic case of that, which it succeeded. And now all of a sudden they're dismantling their teams somewhat. But I think there are teams that are saying, look, you know, to the owners, uh, the GMs are saying, we need to rebuild. We need to do this, this and that. And, you know, I think a, a good team like that is, is the L.A. Kings. I mean, you look at Rob Blake, who was a great player for the L.A. Kings back in the day. You know, he's kind of sitting back after nabbing the number two overall um, Quint, uh, Quint, Byfield. Yeah, Quint Byfield and you know Kopitar is gonna mentor this kid and you have you know other prospects that are, they're building and it's sort of a again they don't have this win now mentality and a lot of LA is saying whoa you're gonna make signings you're gonna do this you're gonna do that and you know Rob Blake knows what he's doing I assume you know he was a good player so th that's a team I think that is taking this sort of, we're going to build a, 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 a team, you know, so maybe Chicago is going to be the other one. I don't understand the hate in Vancouver for Jim Benning. Yeah. I kind of GM. I keep seeing uh, tweets and people posting, you know, going viral saying that uh, Vancouver had a terrible off season. And I get it. They missed out on signing to Foley. Markstrom ended up signing somewhere right. else for six years. So, but they picked up who Holtby. They picked up Holtby, and just look at that. I mean, you've had Demko, who's backing up Markstrom. He's a great goalie. So now you've got, I mean, a solid, might even be the best goalie pairing in the league, or at least one of them. So that's just solid. And yeah, they lost to Foley, uh, but they just picked up Nate Schmidt for, for a like nothing. Pick. Nothing. All they have to do is take on the heavy contract, which they don't care. That's a top four left-handed defenseman that they need. So they've got they've got uh, Pedersen, they got Boser, they got Horvat, they got Hughes. All these guys are developing. I think, um, and I'll go ahead. I'll stick my my neck out there. I think Vancouver is going to be a much better team this year. And I just don't understand the hate for them, but I mean it's okay, whatever. I'm looking at it from a different perspective. And hey. You know, all the fans that are in Canada, maybe y'all can have some light and hope at the end of the tunnel <laughs> that maybe a Canadian team well, will take the Stanley Cup home. But I, don't forget 2011. I know it's different teams, but in another season, I mean, sorry, in another episode, we'll have to talk about the dreaded Montreal Canadiens, but they're making some really good, I think, signings and putting together a much better team for Montreal can't stand Montreal, Bruins fan to the day I die, but we'll talk about them. But you can't miss that Montreal is making the news with, with who they're picking up. Oh, absolutely. And I'm scared. I'm a little nervous. And, and you know, I'm seeing, you know, Bruins fans, you know, some of them are confident. They're like, oh, come on. If you think, you know, that Canadian, don't count them out. Don't no, count are you kidding any me? of them out. Jake Allen, if he can play the way he used to and he backs up Price, so I, my, my deal is if, if the backup goalie can pick up at least 15 to 20 games, Price is going to be rested and ready for the playoffs. Which is dangerous. Is dangerous. So anyway, but we could talk about Montreal another episode. What, what, what do we get? Oh, the Islanders. So Barzal, they got to sign them. I mean, they got no choice. They, they lost toes. They need to sign um, Pollock too. Pollock. Yep. So, and Barzal is going to be commanding a lot. And, and obviously the Islanders it. will pay it. 
you know, they need to anyways, but coming off his ELC dad coming off less than a million bucks, the kid's going to be ready to cash in a little bit. So Islanders got to do it. Islanders got to, got to, got to get with the program here or, or something bad could happen to them. But anyway, that's sort of our, our take enough of the hockey news. Yes. Yes. So the only other thing with hockey news, which isn't really hockey, hockey news, but uh, teams are bringing back uh, their retro or their reverse retro jerseys. Um, and I think Calgary was one of the first ones uh, to show that, or at least what I saw on Twitter. And now uh, Grizzik was recently asked in his uh, previous interview uh, with Eric Russo of uh, the NHL Bruins media team that um, he approves of the Pooh Bear jerseys coming back. And I think that that is going to be the reverse retro jerseys the Bruins would bring back or will. I don't know why or, or what deems adding go into too much detail looking it up but i think the Pooh bear jerseys are ugly as hell it don't bring it back it's it's terrible don't don't bring it back bring back the winter classic b bring back uh, you know br- bring back a real classic retro jersey from right. the 60s and 70s or even the 80s the, the 90s wasn't winter. a bright time for the Bruins, right i mean so no, why do you it wasn't remember that? it wasn't why do you so remember those days I don't know. I, I I don't think the Pooh Bear, whatever you call it, thing is, you know, whatever. See, I, I have a problem. So, you know, the listeners got to understand that I was a, a, a band director um, for high school and also for a university. And, uh, you know, my last gig was with the University of South Florida. And I used to do a lot of the football and basketball uh, bands for them. So I'm dealing a lot with marketing people from division, you know, USF is a division one school and it's kind of like the professionals and these marketing people don't know anything about the sport that they're trying to market. And again, I don't want, I, I'm making an assumption on this because it's been this way everywhere I've gone where marketing people don't know anything about the sport and they make stupid decisions like Pooh Bear. And other, other stupid things and contests in between periods or quarters or whatever. And it's, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Just play hockey. Just who cares what jersey that they wear or not? You know, bringing back the Pooh Bear. Come you know, on. speaking of jerseys, I'm not going to lie. So if listeners listen to the previous episode, we, we are here in base out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Right. And uh, the only, of course, yeah, you're like Oklahoma, where the hell is Oklahoma, right? That's what I thought first moving here. Right. But uh, there is a hockey team here. No, it's not the OU college program. Actually, believe it or not, we do have a D3 hockey program here at OU. Or, oh, really? Yeah, I don't know. I say D3 because I think it's like, you know, obviously OU is in a big hockey program. It's like rollerblade. Right. OU's D1 as far as how many students go to that damn school. But Tulsa Oilers, ECHL team, they've been around since the 20s. Well, they had some jerseys last season that honestly the other team was probably just sitting there making fun of them. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle jerseys were probably the worst thing the, the, the I've ha- ever the seen. The Halloween Superman and other superheroes. Please follow comics. the ECHL page and every once in a while. This is what I'm saying. It's, it. it's the marketing people. It's terrible. Some of it. And I understand that, you know, they make now kids come to the games, dad. It isn't like back in the day anymore. You got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. The jerseys were so please go look Tulsa Oilers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And most, most of those, most of those farm teams do have those. And of course they auction their jerseys off after each game. Right. Right. And some of it goes to whatever cause, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, don't wear a uniform that supports, you know, like, you know, breast cancer awareness or anything like that. Good causes, but. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like you said. It, it wasn't even a Marvel good comic heroes. And look, I like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Grew up a huge fan as a kid. The jerseys, a fail. Pooh Bear. Anyway, I don't know. You know, there's probably people out there that love the Pooh Bear and spent $200 for the jersey, so. Please don't cry. It's okay. I mean, whatever. Keep the jersey. I, I think it's ridiculous, but I don't think anything will be as terrible. If you can look back in the 90s, there was this, I, get, I don't know what you would call alternate jersey for the new york islanders that had like a picture of this fisherman guy this yeah, old guy i love that one it's one of my favorite that's jer- that was jerseys. picked on more and more <laughs> you know i love it though. so it's, it's, 
it's you know, the nineties, nineties, like nineties, I guess had the alternate Jersey. That's where they came up. Cause you know, at, before then they, I don't remember them having alternate jerseys. Well, dad, they probably couldn't fucking afford it. What do you mean? Those teams back in the day probably couldn't afford alternate jerseys. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised, you know, Jacobs is, you know, saying, Hey, yeah. let's spend money buying new uniforms. You know, cause I look, you know, speaking of, you know, teams I have money back in the day, I do you remember this team I had seen that like uh, on this day in history, the Indianapolis uh, racers or something. Yeah. I think NHL they're a team. No, no, no. They were, they were a uh, WHL world hockey. Oh, That's okay. where I think Gretzky started with them. Don't quote me on it. I don't remember what NHL team I swear is an NHL team name. And then it was versus the Indianapolis racers. And I was like, since when did Indianapolis? Have well, and, and the young people have to remember that in the seventies, they, they did start a, a second alternate league. Uh, kind of like um, back in the day when it was wrestling, wrestling was just the WWF, you know, Vince McMahon, which is now WWE. Um, they owned the market for national stuff. And then of course you had other Turner Network started with whatever they started with. And you then you had all these competing wrestling shows on TV that were nationwide. Well, the uh, hockey, they started the WHA, the World Hockey Association. And that's where many of the teams uh, like the Hartford Whalers came from them. They were the Hartford, uh, uh, sorry, New England Whalers. Uh, that's where Edmonton came from you know, believe it or not. So a lot of some NHL teams actually came from the WHA. And I think it only lasted less than 10 years. They scooped up a lot, a lot of NHL superstars and paid them outrageous amounts of money. And then they went bankrupt in like eight years. And then the NHL said, all right, well, we'll take, you know, some of you teams and we'll expand our league even more. And like I said, that's where you get the Hartford Whalers, you had the Edmonton Oilers, uh, Winnipeg Jets, things like that. Yeah, I got to say, as a writer, uh, you know, for Black and Gold Productions, um, the one thing I've definitely learned is all of these different leagues. And, and now that you mentioned the WHA, yeah, because uh, this during quarantine, when there was no news going on, um, Mark Allred Jr., the uh, owner and founder, um, him and I actually uh, did a little alumni birthday project and it was a very fun research project we were writing articles daily him and i and publishing and it was a great history lesson because you know you're going through the whole player's career and you're looking at all these leagues you played in you know i didn't even know the international hockey league um the ihl was the ahl back in the day right and you know people forget that uh even the boston bruins you know we had the providence reds in the 50s and 60s i believe and then eventually we had the Maine Mariners, Mariners, how do you pronounce it? Maine Mariners. And so cool history thing. I just thought it was interesting as a writer. I'm finding out about all these different leagues and uh, it's pretty interesting. You guys should look some of the stuff up that we're talking about. So, you know, going back to the old stuff. Yeah. Let's move on to the final segment, which right. probably some fans would appreciate is the old school hockey and Bruins talk. And Dad, I'm going to let you start that one off because you're a pro. All I remember are the brawls and the fights that are on YouTube, really. So just a little bit getting here to some old school Boston Bruins here. And, and this episode, I'm uh, going to take us just to the Boston Garden. And my son, who's 23, he doesn't, you know, he's never known anything about the Boston Garden other than my stories. And, you know, I grew up going to the, going to the garden the whole, you know, all the time in the, in the 70s, 80s, and, and even early 90s before I had to move away for jobs and so forth. And I got to say, I was, you know, the most jealous I ever get is when my dad tells me these old <laughs> stories when he's like, yeah, you know, you know, he'd take the train, to, you'd take the train to college, right, every day, and you'd stop, you know, coming home, and you'd go to a Bruins game for like, what, you'd get 15, yeah. 20-buck tickets? Yeah, you're correct. So I, house. you know, um, I, I did a one year at Berkeley School of Music and uh, I lived up on the North Shore. So I took the train in the North Station, which is Boston Garden, and uh, take the Green Line down, you know, to wherever Berkeley was at. And uh, on my way back, if I was coming home late and it was maybe five, six o'clock, I'd actually have to walk through the, the ticket, uh, the box office. And I'd just go up to the window and, you know, be like, hey, is there anything, you know, for tonight's game, the Bruins are playing? And they'd be like, well, I don't know how many tickets you need. And I said, oh, I just need one ticket. And their answer was always, if you need one ticket, I can put you anywhere you want. 
So I kind of sat all over and I had great seats and they weren't that expensive back in the day. And I just go to a thing called a pay phone. I know you don't know what that is and call, you know, call my, my mother and say, Hey, I'm going to catch the later train. Don't hold dinner for me because I'm going to see a Bruins game. So I used to do that quite a bit. And uh, so anyway, the Boston garden, so the legend, and I'm going to talk to Andrew, but obviously I can be, you know, talk to the audience, but I'm going to tell you the story. So the legend had it with the Boston garden, you know, built in 1928 or whatever the legend or urban legend was that there were monkeys that lived in the Boston garden and somewhere this myth, of course, I'm just talking about what I heard as, as a kid growing up was that the circus Barnum and Bailey or whatever circus used to come to town and it'd spend a week or so at the Boston garden. Well, their monkeys got loose and they couldn't find a few of them. And so they were living in the Boston garden. They live up in the rafters, up in the ceiling. And after events, games and so forth, they'd come down and they'd eat the popcorn and drink the soft drinks or whatever. That was the whole thing. You're telling me these janitors never saw some monkeys around here? You think that they well, kept on the down? And don't quote me on this, but I, I, I remember, you know, hearing Larry Bird, the Celtics, you know, greatest player of the Celtics. Well, one of the greatest players of the Celtics. He actually thought he saw a monkey one night during a game or uh, I don't know, but I just remember, you know, the story about him, you know, but you asked like Ray Bork, for example, I've seen someone ask Ray Bork and he says, he's never seen a monkey or monkeys in, in the building ever. But Larry Bird swore he, he did in the, in the eighties and you'd have these sightings, but it's almost like, you know, Bigfoot sightings, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, and of course, you know, Boston has, you know, rats the size of monkeys. So sometimes, you know, maybe they mistook a rat for, because, uh, you know, the garden did have rats. I, I seen a rat. Right. The place wasn't the very, uh, very, but it was cool. old. It was right. old. I mean, it wasn't clean. You know, you show me old pictures. I'm like, yeah, dad, I guess it looks nice. I mean, no, I, I mean, can see the, the old memories. But. No, it's not like today's arenas, but it had its charm and the history and everything. Well, anyway, so the monkeys. So these monkeys lived in the Boston Garden. They were able to live for years and years on shit that people threw on the ground. And that was the legend. So you fast forward to 1998 when they actually tore down the Boston Garden. And as they were tearing up the roof, because they had to go brick by brick and tear this building down so it was nothing. Guess what they found in the in the in between the rafting and the, and the roof. No. They found a no. dead, mummified, totally mummified monkey. Now, describe, elaborate on the mummified, because now, now I'm curious of how far this goes. I, you can, I think there's a good YouTube video on this. There's definitely pictures if you just, you know, search for the monkey. It's, you know, and, and there's pictures. Now, whether or not you believe these pictures is another thing, but these guys actually, the story goes that um, the workers that tore apart this, they found the monkey, they couldn't believe it, and they kept the monkey with them the entire time that they were breaking this down. And there's pictures of them holding, you know, like putting the monkey propped up. I mean, it's stiff as a board. I mean, this thing has been dead a long time. It's putting it up against the wall and putting like a Dunks, you know, cup of coffee with them. Uh, you know, pictures of, you know, and, and they kept them and they hid them from the supervisors. Somehow they didn't want the supervisors to know because they were going to use it as a big PR scheme, I guess, was there. So the workers actually, there's several of them uh, that said these photographs, they took them, this is the truth. And, you know, they look pretty good to me. And so supposedly some guy took it, you know, kept it after the job was done. And, you know, they all sort of, I don't know if they gave the monkey a name or whatever, but they, they kept the monkey the whole time that they were demolitioning the, the garden. And then this guy uh, took it home with him. But then what happened? Bad things started to happen to these guys. Ah, so they started talking about there was some, you know, work-related injuries. And the guy that took the monkey and had it in his back of his truck like got into an accident on the way home with the monkey in the truck. So, you know, there's that whole urban legend about, you know, it's sort of a bad luck. Well, anyway, it ends up and I, and it, it is, I remember I just YouTubed it. It was hard to find, but there's one story um, about it from ESPN where these actually, the guy that actually claims to own it, he still owns the skeleton head of it. 
Oh, so the guy yeah. still owns a part of this monkey. Yeah, so no yeah all I, the bad stuff I, I, I guess, in his life, he's like, right. this is worth it. But he has that, and uh, so he's that, probably divorced. He probably has no money, living no. under a bridge. But he's got the skull. Of a no, he he lives down in Weymouth, project. and I was actually I was born in South Weymouth, down here by the Cape. And uh, so he lives in Weymouth, and you guys can look it up, and maybe he'll show you the uh, his uh, mummified monkey skull. But anyway. The urban legend was it was always a family of monkeys that lived there. Oh, and the other thing was a Boston Globe reporter looked back and lo and behold, 1937, the circus came to town and during the show, monkeys did get loose and they were running around the garden. Now, they contacted the circus recently and looked in their archives and they didn't find anything of that they missed any monkeys but this is 1937 right. if, if you're missing organized. yeah if you had you know Come nine on. monkeys and two of them go missing you just go to the next town you can't find them all well but there were monkeys that were i guess supposedly missing it made it in the boston globe back in 1937 anyway the legend of the monkey or monkeys in the boston garden Andrew, what do you think you know, I was just thinking, I'm like, 1937. Now you said, now did you say the circuses, they came, you know, like after that, or was that the one time that supposedly the monkeys Right, like that escaped? was, the circus used to come to town every year because the Bruins would have to, Celtics would have to push out their schedule and do road games because the circus would come to town for like a week. So this is back in 1937. There was, I guess, some reporter found a, 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 a reporting for the Boston Globe or whatever the paper was saying that uh, monkeys were missing and that they were running around. They got out. So I'm looking up on my phone, lifespan of monkeys. Okay. And it's like, you know, of course there's a ton of different monkeys, you know, I kind of forgot the zoo and everything, yeah. but uh, a monkey, a typically 25 to 30 years, but sounds like there may have been another incident because, you know, if, if Larry Bird supposedly saw one now, if he didn't, that monkey must have been dead up there for a long, long, long time. And that's pretty crazy to think about. I like the theory. <clears throat> now, I don't, I think it's honestly a, a bit uh, screwed up in the head that you take a dead mummified monkey, they probably don't wash their hands or probably no. kissing it, taking pictures, yeah. hanging out with it during work yeah, every day. Yeah. It's a little, little strange. I think I'm now questioning those guys more than the situation itself. No, not really. I mean, you know, you know, these are construction guys and, you know, they, you know, they, they, they can do weird things at times. And, and, and they claim like they moved the monkey around with them wherever they were, you know, they finished this part. So they'd come over here they take the monkey with them. People, you know, the supervisor come by, so they throw it in an electrical box and, you know, and, you know, so they just kind of like ended up, the monkey was sort of like their mascot, their buddy. It was sort of the joke. So everywhere they went. And then when the job was done, the guy took him home. But then they started questioning, oh, man, some bad things are starting to happen. Yeah, I find that to be a little weird, a little interesting. Well, so, we'll get, Dad, tell me the, this. Tell yeah. me this. You come home to your wife today. Yeah. And you go, you know, I'm out on the job today. I'm working. And lo and behold, you won't believe what I just found. And out of the back of your truck, you pull out a dead mummified monkey probably 40 50 years no all, all you got to do is is just go back two weeks so i live on five acres andrew knows i live kind of kind of in the sticks not too far up but in the sticks and i have five acres of kind of woods around me and it's pretty hilly and i'm finding all these bones <clears throat> and wait to see the latest bone the bone is about the size of my leg yeah I don't like it's that. like a it's like a you know like a dinosaur leg or something i mean it's huge and, you know, my wife is a physician. And of course, my first question is, you know, I mean, what do we stumble on? Because we're finding huge bone bits. And she thinks it was a, it was a cow. It's a cow bone. Oh, come on. That's not exciting. Or, or a big deer bone. Because we have deer that run through our backyard. That's not exciting at all. But I, need, we, I need like a bear or something. Okay, well, you go rake the leaves and find a bone the size of your leg. And, and then you tell me that you're not scared. Well, and the problem is, is, you know, your wife's not making a big deal of this. Well, no, she's an Okie. She just like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, de it's a big deer. I'm like, yeah, no. it's got to be a big deer. No, it, like it's a, like a T-Rex. You watch forensic deer. files for a month straight during quarantine, like I did. I don't you know. Don't, you don't mess with it. All Look, right. I'm, I'm originally from, from, you know, the Boston area, and if you find bones in your backyard, you know, number one, you keep your mouth shut, <laughs> and you know, you don't report it to anybody. 
and uh, pray that but, it's not human. But you're not going to find bones. You're just not going to find bones in the backyard. And I'm finding, you know, all over the place in my backyard. So I have no idea if I'm in a like a pet cemetery type situation. If I'm in the cow graveyard, I mean, there's no cows around, right? You no, no, there's no farmland anywhere around. There's nowhere. And I'm finding more and more. Anyway, they, you know, they've been decayed pretty bad. But I'll show you the latest one when you come awesome. to my house. So, is there anything else as far as yeah, old so school hockey? Yeah. So, I have about? a question for you. Okay. Okay. So, what is the NHL record for the most penalty minutes in of, of a person, not a team, an individual who holds the record for the most penalty minutes in one? period by a player in one single period one player most penalty minutes in one period uh what would even be possible uh, you know what 27 two game two misconducts 10 minutes a fight and a minor penalty 27 so in one period one, one period, period. Okay. not a game one, one period period 27 20 i'm going 27 all right so the record stands um at 67 penalty minutes. You're still talking about a period? Yeah. One period? So here's a game. Right. Here's the situation. Old school hockey when they used to really have goons. So we're talking, you know, slap shot movie bill, right? So this guy, Randy Holt, and he was a goon, defenseman. So he started his career in Chicago, played in, in the farm teams for them at that time. I think their farm team was Dallas, believe it or not. Anyway, he finally was traded to, and here's a team that was an old, NH, uh, not an old, but for you, uh, an older NHL team that is now defunct, the Cleveland Barons from Cleveland. Yeah, there's actually a team, Cleveland Barons, in 1977. So he made the team. However, he ended up in Vancouver real quick on a trade and finally to L.A. And this is where L.A. played Philadelphia. Remember, this is the Broad Street Bullies era, 1977, you know, tough, tough team in Philly. And he goes in there and in the first period, he gets a two minute minor penalty. I forget what it was for. And then about 15 minutes into the first period, he gets into a fight with Frank Bath, receives a five minute major and a 10 minute game as conduct. And if you can find the video, which I did on YouTube and watch it, I mean, he totally sucker punches the guy. And what, during now you during the game, go, okay. When so he before he got into his fight, he just sucker punched this guy. And Whistle then the other blew. Guy jumped in. Yeah, well, okay. anyways, I mean, okay. it's the seventies. Yeah, everybody right. started yeah. to jump in. So anyway, so he's got two minutes there. He's got five minutes, and so now he's got ten minute game misconduct. One of his teammates come over. Oh, so what happened was is since there's only five minutes left in the game, the question is why didn't he go to the dressing room? Right. So, I'm, so they didn't. They put him in bath and they just put him in the penalty boxes. Remember the penalty boxes back in the day, didn't have any plexiglass. It was just boards. Right. So during that time, the flyers felt that and do Don Cherry's number one rule on a team is you never embarrass another team. Well, the Philadelphia flyers thought that they were disrespected and, and were embarrassed by this guy. So they were already talking about it. They're going to go after him at, at the end of the period. So before the end of the period, one of his teammates go over and said, hey, Philly's talking. They're going to come after you. <laughs> so Jeez. the end of the period comes and Paul Holmgren, who's the former GM and president of, of the Flyers recently, um, came over and uh, wanted a piece of them. And it ended up being a, a brawl. And uh, so at the end of the first period, brawl happens and he was issued 45 additional penalty minutes, including three game misconducts for a total of 67 minutes. How the hell do you get three game misconducts? So wouldn't that just be a suspension? Or oh, did he, I believe he also got suspended an additional three games after that. Okay. That's almost like, you know, you getting like three life sentences. It's almost like, well, what the hell's the point? You only live once, right? So it's just like making sure like if this game goes to, five overtimes like it did the Stanley right. Cup playoffs. This, you right. But but here's the thing. Three. You would have gotten to the six. If they would have went to seven OT, guys back in. Guys warming up. He's he's going out, out there skate. I all I'm all I'm telling you is, you know, that that's the reporting. And if you YouTube this, you might have to search a little bit for it, but it is on YouTube. And uh there is a couple old clips of uh of the game that you can watch and see what happens. So it's kind of a 
kind of interesting. And it looked like uh, last time I remember watching it uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, he got his butt beat pretty bad by uh, uh, by Holmgren, Paul Holmgren. Okay. So, but anyway, the guy was a goon. I think he ended up finishing in Philadelphia, by the way, played for him his last season. Anyway, here's his NHL record, not a Wayne Gretzky. He played a total of 395 games. In that time, he has four goals (laughs) and 37 assists and 1,438 penalty minutes. So that kind of gives you a little bit of the old school hockey whether you like it or you hate it, that's the way it was. And, and you know, this guy uh, certainly will, you, you could be classified a goon, but he is in the NHL record books for the most penalty minutes by an individual in a period of hockey. 67 penalty minutes. Dude, that's pretty hard for two teams combined to get over 67 penalty minutes in today's game. So, you know, if you're not up to date on all the old school hockey stuff, if you like violence and if you're a little crazy like we are – you might want to check it out. Don't forget, Millberry beat somebody with a damn shoe up in the crowd. Which, That's hey, true. by the way. That's true. Hey, by the way, you know, I know that you can't, like, walk. Here's the thing. I, you know, I've only skated when I was two years old, okay? And I was bored with that. I didn't like it. So, you know, I'm not a skating professional. But when you hopped over the boards, you know, how could they have walked on the skates on that concrete? I imagine it was concrete, right? I mean, it's, like, impossible. Don't they have, like, skate holders so they can walk on no, I mean, those type of surfaces. I mean, I, how did they not just break their... Well, watch the video over and over again. It and just looks like they got shoes on. They just hop right on the, up there. The, like they're not wearing the, skates. The confession that I have to you as, as, as a son, and now that, you know, you're, you graduated college and you're on your own, I can kind of tell you this, but um, I was watching that game live, Madison Square Garden, and I couldn't believe it. And, of course, they didn't have too many replays maybe the news, you know, the nightly news, but I was so pumped up about that, that the Bruins did that. I'm told slap shot move, right? That I faked being sick with my mom the next day. So I could stay home from school and try to catch like the news at 11 AM or 12 noon news or whatever it was. And I purposely like stayed home from school, played sick. And so I could just watch as many of the replays as I could on the news channels. What if you, what would you have done if you had YouTube back in the day? Well, what happens if I could be able to, you know, record it? We didn't have VCRs back then. We didn't have the DVRs that you have today, you know, so it was stay home from school and uh, it was totally worth it too. Yeah. If that would have happened today, the Boston Bruins would be fired, gone from the NHL. Right. That's it. No question asked. The Boston Bruins are no longer a team. Right. And, <laughs> and you know, we'll talk another time, but, you know, and, and I'm not a proponent of violence or, you know, you know, fighting for fighting, but, you know, we'll talk about this in another podcast of there's actually, you know, the, the unwritten code uh, in hockey. And, and even when hockey's at its most violent, it is still about, you know, respect and protecting and kind of policing and things like that. But, you know, I know the hockey world's divided, but I'm just from that old school world and, I mean, you can't get any more, you know, tougher than, you know, the mid to late 70s Boston Bruins under Don Cherry. I mean, you know, you, you know, you just can't get tougher than that. Or the Philadelphia Flyers in the mid to late 70s. But anyway, we digress. Do we have a good podcast? I mean, I think so. I hope our listeners enjoyed not just listening to nothing but contract details from free agency for an hour straight. Is there a way? I don't even know. You know, this is I'm 52 years old or almost 52. So you handle this podcast. I know you hand it off to Black and Gold Productions and and so forth like that. But can people leave comments? Are we going to get like hate things about Mike Milbury or Pierre Maguire? I mean, is there things that people can make comments? I mean, people will go back on your Twitter to when you were 13 and pull up a tweet, honestly, which, you know, that people will probably pull up some, but who cares? Everybody's got an opinion, right? So well, I'm, d- I'm just saying we don't, we don't mind the comments. I don't know if people can make comments, but, you know, be kind to us. And uh, I think we're supposed to say too, because it is part of uh, black and gold, uh, you know, puts, we're part of that associated with that group. And so if you can uh, subscribe to us, right. Yeah, you can follow whatever, us on we're, Spotify. whatever we're doing, Spotify yep, and the other stuff. When are we going to be on Apple iPod thing? Cause I, I have that on my phone. Yeah. Apple podcast. I think it's after we 
publish three episodes. Maybe it's the third. I think we have to publish three episodes and then we'll be on. So subscribe to us and, uh, you know, leave, leave some comments if you want to, if there's something you feel that we should talk about next podcast, maybe that'd be a good thing. And if there's some stars, give us a high rating. And uh, that certainly helps us and with our, the organization that we're partnering with it with and, uh, you know, go hockey. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's kind of a boring week for uh, Bruins hockey, uh, but uh, something could happen tomorrow. We really appreciate everybody coming and listening to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast with co-hosts and father and son duo, Andrew and James Lindroth. Thank you and all have a great day. Thank you.